0: Welcome to Between the Lines. I'm Tracy Hunter Abramson, here with Esther Hatch, Sarah M. Eden, and Sean M. Bessie. Today we're going to talk about research and how authors gain the knowledge they need to create believable stories. I have often said that I hate research that requires more than a Google search or calling a friend for information. Okay, text messages are better, (laughs) but (laughs) one of those is really what I like to have for research. But not long ago, someone corrected me when I was talking about how much I love going on research trips so that I can breathe the same air as my characters that I love hearing the sounds, sampling the local cuisine, and just absorbing everything around me. So apparently I do like research, but I don't think I will ever like it the way Sarah does.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's not okay to like it as much as I do. It's a sign that something's gone terribly, terribly wrong. Um, I actually, when I write, set aside one day a week where all I do is research, and it isn't even always research specific to anything i'm writing it's just that i love research so much that <laughs> if i haven't set aside an entire day to do it it will keep me from writing like that's how much i enjoy it <laughs> i feel like i'm making I'm, a really horrible confession right now but i'm really worried about you right I now as you say uh, so you're limiting time.
2: yourself to one day i have to
1: and if i need to stop writing like during the day to research something. Because sometimes something comes up and you have to know the answer to even know if the scene works. I will literally have to set a timer or I will just keep going. I love, I love the research aspect of writing. This it's, is so wrong. Yeah, That's I know. so
3: amazing, Sarah. I wish <laughs> that I loved it as much as that. I do... I do do a lot of research before I start my books, but I'm always digging for one thing. It sounds like you look at big, broad, and then go down little rabbit holes. Right. (laughs) And I am looking for someone or something that very few people know about. And once I found it, then I use that to generate my story. Um, So it's a little bit like looking for a needle in a haystack for me.
1: Oh, see, now I'm I just sitting that. thinking, ooh, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I want to do that. <laughs> yeah.
3: I love hearing how everybody researches
2: differently. I feel like, for me, I feel like my research is often like fact checking. Like that's how I feel a little bit about mine, where I, I feel like most of my historical knowledge comes from like obsessive reading when I was little. And but then, you know what? It's not always right, sadly. Right. So mm-hmm. because you, if you're reading, especially like a Regency romance written in 1980 they may or may not have written the correct things so for me I feel like my research is a lot like I have people ask me like well how do you research your books and I say well I feel like I kind of belong in Regency or Victorian (laughs) England because I spent so much of my childhood there but what it really is is it's it's a lot more like Sean where I'm finding like I need not so much something interesting to tell as much as finding those specific problems for this particular book or this particular scene and um and i and i research as i go a lot
0: well and a lot of times i mean for anyone who's read my books they probably know that my books have to be cleared by the cia to make sure i'm not giving away secrets so i'm literally <laughs> trying not to be too accurate sometimes <laughs> like, what's already out there that people know about or like can I maybe twist something a little bit so it's not so accurate that the CIA is going to get mad at me? So That another country a- <laughs> could use it against us. Right. I mean, it's a <laughs> weird spot to be, I'm telling you. Okay, now, I know we all have our different ways to gain the information we all need, you know, to make our books realistic. But obviously, mine is, my favorite one is through travel. What is your favorite?
3: I think travel has to be my favorite, too. It's just so much easier To write a book when you have experienced what it looks like and smells like and tastes like and feels like all of those senses make up the description of your book. But because um, some of mine are historical, I do have to do some research, like Esther said, to make sure that you know exactly um, how things worked and what things were called and what was commonly used and not used and so for those things i'm going online and usually i will purchase a book for each era that i write in that i kind of go back to as my one reference book that's awesome
1: personally i love talking with experts People who either it's something they, they themselves do or they are historians as well. Like um, museum docents or um, curators or people who work at archives. One of my favorite research moments, I was in um, a museum in Ireland and had asked um, the docent who was there about a pocket watch in a display case. Two hours later, <laughs> we wrapped up our conversation, which had gone through the history of Ireland, just about. And I learned about people and places and Mm -hmm. events that I either hadn't heard of or didn't know that much about. And I left with not only so much information, but passion. Because it comes through when you talk to someone who Mm -hmm. loves it. So that is one of my favorite ways to do research.
0: Well, and that brings back a memory of Sarah and I being in Ireland together with a couple of other authors. Mm -hmm. And one of the docents just literally regaled us with his tales. Yep. Four of Dublin for what it must have been an hour. Yeah. And all four authors walked out of there with a completely different story idea. We all had them.
1: Yeah, exactly. they
0: all completely different. Exactly.
1: We and d- if you take the time to talk to the people who work in these places, it's amazing the things that you learn that you wouldn't have otherwise. It's it's really great.
0: Absolutely. And I love the idea of, of using those resources of people we know. And most people do love to talk about what they do. And right. They do it for a reason, most of us. Um, I mean... We do have our spreadsheets that we also love. You <laughs> right. know, how the research, I just don't understand. But I think for, you know, admittedly, I'm the only one of the four of us who does not write historical. I tried. The closest I came to writing historical was an unlikely pair. Well, okay, I did Dancing to Freedom. And even just the difference of a corded phone or little things like that. When it was Pac Man invented? You know, little things <laughs> like that. It's like, because oh your
1: historical is in what, like the nineteen sixties? The nineteen
0: sixty was the farthest back I right. Rent, or furthest back and then I did one in 1982, and I'm going. This is this is rough. And you guys are going back centuries sometimes. <laughs> I, but does is. it
1: hurt your heart to know that you lived at a time that is now considered historical? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's recent historical.
3: It's not really
0: historical. It's
3: just long no, enough. Just, to go. We're just ancient.
0: We're just now <laughs> classified as <laughs> historical. The calendar lies. I'm just putting that out I'm there. I'm just
2: fascinated by researching Pac-Man. I'm still just like thinking about
0: that. But it was a Google search. <laughs> I was. I only had. To do a Google search for that so but don't you think that all writers of fiction have that underlying love of seeing how the past works in our lives now
3: absolutely oh yeah yeah
0: I mean I think for me one of the biggest ones was um, when when the Virginia Tech shooting happened which was a long time ago now but when that happened I I do live in Virginia, and I remember having all of my friends, like, I literally saw people running out of their houses, jumping in their car to see if their children survived. It was just terrifying. And so, just the news and everything, that was really therapeutic for me to start writing. I I saw this one clip on the news, and it was very therapeutic to write kind of from her perspective what had happened and just write a fictional account. I didn't expect it to be anything beyond that, and then it just kept going and going and going. And so, it was... but. Coming from the idea of what would it be like to be have have lived through such a traumatic event and then move forward and how how does that impact the person she becomes? So that was that was kind of one of the ways that I really liked using the past, moving a character forward from a real event.
3: I think one of the other things that is fascinating to me when we do historical research too is I always have to tell myself, history was written by the winners. Right, And um, that never sort of settled as deeply as it did as when I came from Wales to attend university in the U.S. and I'm sitting in my American Heritage class hearing the Boston Tea Party <laughs> from <laughs> the American perspective and suddenly foolish King George was wicked King George and all <laughs> of the different perspective... And it was this aha moment of every side has two parts to it. And so sometimes I think when we write our historical research or historical books, it's fascinating to maybe put a slightly different spin on it, to look at it in a slightly different way than most people do.
0: I love
1: that. Yeah. I think one of the things that has surprised me as I've researched the books that I write is how many connections I find to my own ancestry. Um, I have a whole set of books that take place amongst recent Irish immigrants who've come to the United States after the hunger in the 19th century. And my ancestors came to the United States from Ireland after various famines. And so you feel this connection that these people that I'm writing about experience the things my own people experienced. I wrote a book that took place in the 1870s in Yorkshire, a newly built mill and about the people who worked there. And as I'm researching it more and mentioned to my grandmother that I was writing this and she said, oh, we have family that worked in a mill mil in the 1870s in Yorkshire. <laughs> like, and I didn't realize it at the time, but I was discovering things about myself that I had no idea I had these connections. So that's been an incredible thing for me to see how my own past is impacting me and don't
3: And don't you also think that when that happens, Part of your heart goes into that book. Absolutely. Because I have written a few books that have been based on my family. And one of them was about Welsh coal miners. And um, there is a place in South Wales called The Big Pit. It's in a little town called Blaenavon, Avon. And it is the only coal mining museum that you can actually go down into the pit. Mm. And I was there with my teenage daughter, and she suffers from claustrophobia. And I said, okay, Anna, we've got to do this, because this is what our ancestors did. (laughs) And, of course, I needed it for my research. (laughs) So, bless her heart, we put on the helmets and all the equipment. We went down in the, I don't even want to call it an elevator, it was more like this Cage that just uh-huh. sh- shook all the way down, literally into the belly of the earth. And it was so moving to know that that was how my ancestors right. survived. Mm-hmm. That's how they lived. They sometimes went weeks never seeing the daylight because they went in in the dark, they came out right. in the dark. Anyway, it was... And, and for me, it helped me make that book so much more meaningful. Right. That right. connection,
2: that's so amazing to hear. I and I definitely I think you can tell when the author puts their heart in the book. I think it shines through. So that's so neat. I think um I think when you talk about the history and the research that we do, I think it's interesting to me how the place you put and the time you put your characters are really shaped by the history too. So a lot of why I wrote my second novel was because I wanted a working man. But more than that, I wanted one who was, like, kind of torn about it. And so I pushed forward from Regency into Victorian when Mm -hmm. this was a lot more going on. And so I love that this research, it not only can shape our stories, it shapes... I mean, it has to shape our characters, really. It makes them who they are. And it gives us a deeper understanding of how their stories are told. Because really... I mean, really, the story is about these characters and and what shaped them and their choices that they're making, and so much of that is
0: based on their location and time period. And okay, so tell me, what is your most your favorite random fact that you have discovered in your research? Favorite is hard, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay,
2: just give me something yeah. random. Yes, no, I, I mean, yeah, it's, I'm always, like, overwhelmed by favorite. But, yes, I actually, and I think a lot of it's, it's like you find this little historical tidbit and you think, I have to write that. <laughs> so the one that first comes to my mind is actually for a story that isn't out yet. I just finished turning it in, but it is this historical tidbit about Scotland, which is unfortunate because this story took me very long to write <laughs> because I do not know enough about Scotland. I've been working on it for three years and it's a novella. So um, that, a lot of time was not working on it, but um, because of the research that had to be involved, because like I said, a lot of my research came from reading and I didn't read as much about Scotland. So um, anyway, this this came about because I was writing a novella about Christmas during Regency time and I was trying to find a lot more of the traditions that they did during Christmas time back then. And it's very different and and really not quite as big of a deal as it is now. Um, And one of the things I stumbled upon was just that in Scotland, it was illegal for a while. They didn't celebrate. It was banned to celebrate Christmas, not during the Regency time. It was a hundred, a few, like a hundred years before at plus. Um, But so that of course sparked a story idea in mind. Like what if I write a, regency christmas in scotland where christmas is pretty much looked down on so um so that was kind of a fun one for me
1: that's really fun um i don't know if this is a favorite i'm with esther it's too hard to pick a favorite (laughs) tidbit but one thing i found very interesting i have a book that um the the hero of it is a veteran of the um, battle of waterloo and there's a moment where one of the other soldiers is recounting some experiences there. And so I wanted to recreate the battlefield as well as I could. And I discovered that contrary to what I had pictured in my mind, the cannon fire that was going on produced smoke that was whitish gray rather than dark, like I had pictured it. And apparently from what I came across, it smelled like, like bad eggs. <laughs> yeah. Would never, would never have, which it made sense since I read about it. But one of those moments, that tiny little detail that once you can pop it in, you go, Okay. I've just added depth to this moment. But that was a random one that kind of
3: stuck with me. I love it. Uh, I'm like Esther and Sarah. There are so many, it's really hard to narrow one down. So I think instead of going with my favorite, I'll go with one of my most recent. And um, I have been researching the Vikings that settled in Ireland. And I'm from Anglesey, which is a little island off the north coast of Wales, which is actually one of the closest places to Ireland that just has the North Sea in between. And I discovered in my research that in the 900s, these Vikings sailed to Anglesey and kidnapped about 2,000 Welsh people and then took them back to Ireland and sold them as slaves. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So they weren't super nice people, I don't think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that that doesn't sound like it. No, <laughs> it doesn't. <Yeah.
0: laughs> so I, I was actually going with one of my re- most recents as well, which was not in historical times, but <laughs> the Situation Room in the White House, so I've been right by it, but I had never been in it. But it is actually made up of several different rooms, and I didn't realize that it actually has, like, mm. you know, Like an actual conference room and then what you see on TV of like the video room. And anyway, so I I thought that was kind of a cool one. Um, All right. So now here is a telling question. When you go to a museum, do you like to wander through or do you feel the need to read every plaque on every display? And be honest, I've been to museums with most of you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know everyone will be shocked. I read every single word. And I have, on more than one occasion, gone back and toured the whole museum one more time on that same visit to pick up
0: on anything I missed. She's being totally honest right now. I believe that. I 100% <laughs> I,
3: believe that. I totally that. believe it. But I also know that my children would not want to go to a museum Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> no. Yeah.
1: No, I,
2: that's <laughs> truth right there. Yeah, that, you have to pick your company well when <laughs> yes. you go to a museum. I'm kind of a sum of each. Like, I, things catch my eye, and then I'll read every word of some things and then past some others without looking closely and some things I just will like to just stare at for a while but without reading anything but yeah
3: yeah I think I'm I'm a little like Esther I'm a bit of a wanderer but if I find something that really captures my attention and imagination I will stay or if I'm looking for something specific I will I will stay and learn all I can about it But I I will confess that there have been some museums that I have gone in with a timeline and Sarah would just die if she was with me (laughs) because I am a woman with a mission. And one of those is the National Art Gallery in London. And um, there is a guidebook. I'm not sure if I should say what it is so that I'm not promoting guidebooks, but there is a guidebook that has a cheat sheet to the National Gallery where it has a picture of each room and it tells you where each of the famous paintings, the ones that you learn about in your humanities classes, are located. And I had that map down. I knew to go into this room to look (laughs) at this painting and this room to look at this painting and I'm afraid some of the others got bypassed.
0: That's too funny. So I'm a, I'm more of a wanderer as well, but I just kind of adapt to who I'm with. So like if I'm going with, through with Sarah, she's going to take all day anyway. Might as well just read everything <laughs> while I'm up. there. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, you know, you, it's interesting all the plaques and stuff. But you know, if I'm with my kids or somebody who's right. on a mission, then I'll kind of roll. <laughs> so that's why with I it.
1: often go to museums by myself because no one takes as much time as I do.
0: <laughs> you have to admit when we've traveled we yes. we do it is always nice when you're going with an author it, with other authors because they get it. Like right. okay, if we're here anyway, we might as well go ahead and absorb what's what's in front of us. But I mean, I love all of these random tidbits. And I also think it's amazing that even though we don't all write in the same time period, we all share that love of history and just a love of learning. It's closing out, what is the research that is next on your list? Well, I'm still knee deep in Vikings
3: of Ireland. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that sounds like that will take a while. I am actually doing some Victorian military stuff, which some people just love, and and I it's I find it fascinating, but I also am very intimidated by it because I just feel like there is a lot there. There is there's just so much there, and I and it's one. I mean, you always want to get everything right, but for some reason, military, I just feel like you have to get it right. I don't know. So that's a little bit intimidating, but that's what I'm working on.
1: Up next for me, I'm looking into the uh, historical context of and the lead up to the 1789 Ruevelin, which I can't pronounce French, but that one. um, Riots
0: outside of Paris and the Women's March on Versailles. I love it. Sounds like a trip to Paris needs to be oh. happening. I think it needs to happen. <laughs> it needs to happen. And honestly, for me, I'm, I need to wander around Europe or Asia. I haven't decided yet. So. We'll
1: start in Paris.
0: We can start in that's Paris. That's a good that's, place to start. That's a great idea. <laughs> well, Paris is good.
1: always a good idea. I, I agree. Oh,
0: good line. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great line. We should keep that. Well, everyone, thank you so much for being here. Join us next time on Between the Lines.